Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a rewired news group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that is still a little verklempt about the fact that we have a Biden administration now instead of a that other jackass administration. I mean, I I guess I'm Imani Gandhi. <laughs> and I'm Jess Piclo. Maybe. Rewired News Group is dedicated... <laughs> Last I checked. Rewired News Group is dedicated to <laughs> inspiring you to own your relationship to sex, abortion, parenthood, and power. And the Team Legal Podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. You know, like I said in the upfront, life is weird, man. It's just weird so under weird. the Biden administration. You were just mentioning that you don't really know how to handle it now that there's not just crisis after crisis after crisis. I'm like anticipatorily sweaty. Yes, we were sweaty for four straight years. And now my sweat glands are like recovering. I don't know if they regenerate like the liver does, but I'm feeling fresh and clean. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about it. But Jesus, <gasps> that said. <laughs> Amani. Democrats just might snatch defeat from the jaws of victory like we are going to do. No. Why? Democrats, why? I mean, we're we're a week in. Yeah. I mean, so far, so good. We're a week in. That is a fact. Okay. All right. Good show. Let's pack it up. We're a week in. But there's already some nonsense afoot when it comes to the Senate, Mitch McConnell, and the filibuster. And and my question is why, right? Like, Democrats have a majority with Kamala Harris as a Mm tiebreaker. I know there was a lot of consternation about power-sharing agreements, and people were mad at Democrats because, frankly, a lot of people don't understand how Senate committees work, but that's another topic for another time. But there is this sort of heavy-hearted feeling that even though we basically control Congress now, somehow Democrats are going to manage to screw it up. And Mm -hmm. I just need you to tell me that that's not the case. I can't do that, Amani. Jess. Sorry. All right. So should we talk about the filibuster then, I guess? Yes! We have to talk (laughs) about the filibuster. If we don't talk about the filibuster, we're not going to get shit done. And that's basically what the filibuster is. It's the Senate procedural version of we ain't getting shit done. Um, The filibuster is a Senate tactic to delay or Mm -hmm. block a vote on legislation. You've probably seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington where he's all, I will not yield. And white people are all, (laughs) woohoo. That's a talking filibuster. You may also remember Wendy Davis in the Texas Senate. Remember that was the amazing talking filibuster she did for like 14 hours or something by herself. But essentially, it in allows those sneakers in those sneakers that became like all the rage. But essentially, the filibuster allows a Senate minority to just gum up the works by yeah. holding the floor. Mm-hmm. And would it surprise you if I told you that the filibuster became a tool of white supremacy? Get out. Ah! Well, I never. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about that. In the early in the early days of the filibuster in the back in the beginning days of the filibuster, Legislation could be held up by literally two, three, or four people. If two, three, or four senators wanted to be obstructionists, they could. Okay. It was during Woodrow Wilson's presidency that the rule allowing two-thirds of the Senate to end a filibuster arose, and that was later reduced to three-fifths. So right now, ending a filibuster requires 60 votes. 
Okay. Okay. And the filibuster is basically just talking or blocking. Like it is a rule designed to just block shit in the Senate. Right. To keep it from even coming up for a vote. Right. Okay. Just blocking shit just to block shit. All right. And so even with these new Woodrow Wilson era reforms that allowed breaking this deadlock, Southern segregationist Democrats were so racist and so well organized that they were able to block civil rights legislation that would have ended Jim Crow and the racial terror of the you know, late 19th, early to mid 20th century. Basically, all of the Jim Crow from all of the time immemorial. Senate segregationist Democrats were like, we still need that. And so we're going to go ahead and block civil rights legislation. And ironically, because these racist asshats were so successful in using the filibuster to block civil rights legislation, no one else wanted to use it to obstruct any other kinds of legislation because they didn't want to be associated with this Jim Crow tactic, right? Hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah, yeah. It used to be unpopular to be an obstructionist asshole in the Senate. Oh, yeah. No, it used to be that the, that Senate wanted to get stuff done. Like, that's sort of the what? point of the Senate is to get shit done. Mm-hmm. And I know it's mm-hmm. like, you know, who can even fathom that, right? You and I are basically 100 years old. We don't even remember a time when the Senate used to actually get shit done. So, you know, David Litt has this really good article in The Atlantic that he published on Monday that explains all of this and points out that the United States Senate became this august body that passed most of the new deal that passed the Marshall Plan that created the interstate highway system and all of these big structural changes, as as my homegirl Liz likes to say. But it also allowed a bunch of racist assholes to stymie legislation that would have, as I said, reduced the racial terror that white people were perpetrating against black people. Okay. And I'm sure it won't surprise you to know that the longest filibuster in history came in 1957 from none other than Strom Thurmond, who... Oh, that guy. Shocking surprise was protesting civil rights legislation. And here's where it gets real fucked up. The most obstreperous use of the filibuster was blocking anti-lynching laws. Mm. There was this dude named Henry Henry Cabot Lodge back in like 1920 who introduced a law that said, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be hanging black people from trees. Seems reasonable. And some some of these senators were like, no, maybe we should still keep hanging black people from trees because I like hanging black people from trees. And so what they did is they it's used a family the affair. And it actually was a family affair. Like there it was. It's not a joke. It was not like, a joke at all. There is really, was really thing. horrifying imagery of black people literally hanging from trees. Strange fruit. That's where that song Strange mm-hmm. Fruit comes from with white yep. people picnicking in their Sunday best underneath the bodies of black people. I mean, it's, it's, the history of this country is super fucked up. This is how white women propped up racism by bringing their kids to lynchings and saying, look, this is our family values. Yes. And the filibuster was used 200 times between 1920 and 2005 200 times to block 200 efforts to pass an anti-lynching law. It's so egregious that in 2005, the Senate passed a resolution formally apologizing to lynching victims for its inaction, which, you know, I guess that's nice, but it's about 100 years too late and all the lynching victims aren't exactly alive to, you know, benefit from this quote-unquote formal resolution. So... The point of this is to say, as Obama said at John Lewis's funeral earlier this year, it is a relic of Jim Crow. Okay. And it needs to get gone. Yeah. Like, it needs to be gone. I know in my heart of hearts that the filibuster needs to go. 
but my brain is still protesting. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But for now, suffice it to say that ending a filibuster requires 60 votes. Democrats hold 50 seats in the Senate. In order to pass bills, to get bills to the floor for a vote, they need to find 10 Republicans to support their legislative efforts. So... Good luck with that, right? Like, you've seen this. Con- You're familiar with this Congress, right, Jess? Oh, a little. You think that they're going to be able to find 10 Republicans? Ay, ay, ay. It's questionable. But let's just say that, that the Senate is very, very polarized. And I just, I just, uh, it's so stressful. And it's even more stressful because please tell me, please talk to me about the Democrats who are just gumming up the works. I was going to say, it's not just that we would need to find 10 Republicans. We also apparently might need to bring a couple Democrats along on a Democratic agenda, which let's just let that hang for a minute, okay? Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin are the two main Democratic senators who have said, you know what? That filibuster is totally cool. And it's an excellent way to govern this country. So again, Amani, I have to ask you, why are Democrats like this? Why? I just... <sighs> All right, let me just take a beat and just talk to Pull you about together. the filibuster. Let's talk about the origins of the filibuster. I talked to you about the racist ass-hattedness of the filibuster. Yeah. So the racism is what keeps the filibuster. Right. Let's talk what? about what makes the filibuster. <laughs> Ooh, I love this. Why, why did that just turn into a Seinfeld bit? You can't just keep the filibuster. <laughs> you have to make the filibuster. Because <laughs> we're 800 years old. <laughs> yeah, we are. So have you ever wondered why it is that senators can filibuster, but representatives in the House can't? Honestly, I have. <laughs> this is an excellent question. <laughs> I mean... Because and I will tell you I love why. This question. <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's because the filibuster was a mistake. Literally. What? The filibuster was a mistake. It was basically a copy editing error. I, I swear this is true. Get Esther on this. What? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Esther is our senior editor. She's a copy editing and editing genius. Neither here nor there, or both here and there. Who knows? But Aaron Burr. <laughs> Back in the day, way back in the day, Aaron Burr, way like Aaron Burr from like Hamilton, Aaron Burr. Yes, that Aaron Burr, like okay. Lin Manuel Miranda's, like Aaron Burr. Okay, took a look at the Senate rule book and was basically like, you know what? There are too many words. I mean, I agree. I mean, there are too many words, but the problem is he cut out what he thought was superfluous language that was actually not superfluous language because that language was the, quote, previous question motion. A previous question, huh? Um, What? (laughs) It's a previous question motion. It basically allows a majority of lawmakers to end debate and force a vote on a bill. Okay. That's how it works in the House. Okay. There's no infinite debate in the House of Representatives. Without that language in the Senate rules, it means that U.S. senators can endlessly debate a bill without ever bringing it for a vote. So literally, because Aaron Burr crossed out this language, this previous question motion, it set up a system whereby senators can just block and block and block, endlessly debate a bill without ever bringing it to the floor. Seems great. Seems like a totally cool way to run a country. (laughs) Right. 
So when you hear people talk about how the founders intended the Senate to be able to endlessly debate a bill and that it's just part of this, the, the history of the Senate and it's what the framers would have wanted, you can go ahead and slap them Moonstruck style and oh, tell I them love to that. snap out of it. Yeah, I know, I know you love a Moonstruck <laughs> style slap. So feel free to go ahead and just get your share on because it's not true. You've been conned by a dipshit, and I'm going to call Aaron Burr a dipshit, who was fresh off the heels of literally murdering Alexander Hamilton in a duel. This guy was like, pew, 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 you're dead. I'm going to go to the Senate and fuck shit up. That's what happened. So basically, toxic masculinity is the reason for the filibuster. Toxic masculinity and a copy editing mistake. Yes. This is amazing. (laughs) So basically, this is all Aaron Burr's fault. Like, not only did he murder Alexander Hamilton, but he murdered democracy, like, on the first day. (laughs) Aaron Burr murdered democracy. Like, that's the lead. (laughs) Yes, that is the lead. So let's talk about, let's, you know, fast forward to now. Okay. That's a really weird fast forward sound, but we're going to just move beyond that and talk about why it is a handful of Democrats are so petrified of killing the filibuster. Amani, the Senate loves tradition and norms. There is nothing more important to the Senate than governing by norms. I mean, that's what Mitch McConnell has learned Right. Uh, Like that is that is what the Senate is is for. It's a deliberative, intentional body (laughs) to make sure that the House doesn't just go ham. Right. That we are adults. The Senate. They're the adults. And, like and okay, hold on, hold on, hold your, on. Your delivery is so good that I can't really even tell if you're being serious or not right now. <laughs> and Amani, if if we lose the filibuster. Republicans have hurt us and they're going to hurt us again. Yeah, that's true. It does hurt. So I'm going to say that, that, you know what? Those are the reasons for keeping the filibuster. The, The norms are important. Yeah. The Senate is an important and mature, deliberative body with the best interest of governing (laughs) at its core. That's why we keep the Senate filibuster. Okay, I know you're being sarcastic here, (laughs) (laughs) but okay, what what if I kind of agree with the Democrats' reasons for being scared to kill the filibuster? (laughs) The look you're giving me right now is fucking fantastic. (laughs) But seriously, what if I kind of agree with them? Wait, I'm supposed (laughs) to answer? Broke, Jen. We've been friends for a long time. We have. So I'm going to call you in on this one. Please. Okay, do it. So. Drag me. Drag me. Oh, no, I would never do that. Look, (laughs) the arguments for not keeping the filibuster, I think, quite frankly, are part and parcel of kind of a bad faith obstructionism across the board. So we Mm -hmm. know that Republicans are the party of bad faith obstruction, right? Like we know that. And they don't get anything done and they don't want Democrats especially to get anything done. The worst thing for Republicans right now would be for Democrats to have a single policy success, let alone Mm -hmm. 18 months of policy successes leading up to the midterm elections. Okay, so what they want 
want, what Mitch McConnell wants, why he's going back to this is about norms and traditions and why you're hearing all of that, those talking points, is because they want to be able to use this as an electoral point to say, look, in the midterm elections, Democrats have had 18 some odd months to lead and they haven't done shit. They had mm -hmm. control of the presidency, the House and the Senate. And guess what? They still couldn't get anything done. And a lot of people are going to be like, yep, you're right. Those Democrats really can't get anything done. So <laughs> that is why. OK, and let's have a word with those Democratic obstructionists who are joining the ranks. What yeah. they want to do is to be able to blame Republicans for blocking Democratic measures to their voters back home, right? Like, I yeah. have some sympathy for being a Democrat in West Virginia. That ain't easy, I have to imagine. Right. However, what we need to do as advocates is explain to those voters that this time it's actually not Mitch McConnell that's not giving them a COVID check. It's their own damn Democratic senator. And if you want a COVID check, talk to your Democratic senator and have them get on board. There's a New York Times reporter, I think she's with the Times, Amanda Littman, who tweeted mm -hmm. the other day something like, you know, a lot of people don't understand what the filibuster is or how it works. But what they do understand is that Democrats will have had control of the White House, the Senate and the House. And if they don't get anything done, they're going to be pissed off. And if you come at them with, well, they didn't have cloture, they didn't have 60 votes and blah, blah, blah. They're going to tune out. They don't care about that shit. What no. they want to know is why they don't have a COVID check, why the pandemic isn't under control. And and why it is nothing has changed since, you know, the the homicidal cam canned yam got booted out of office. Yeah. The, the, the bottom line at a most fundamental level, and I will be evangelical about this, is that we have to blow up the filibuster if we want to get any liberal, let alone progressive policy enacted, because it's not just about getting it passed, right? We're in negotiations as, I mean, this is how the sausage gets made. So we have to like negotiate with these people too. Getting the, a bill to a its form in final passage, like, with a filibuster threat hanging over, it ain't happening with the folks who are in that mushy middle. That's all. What about the fact that as history has shown us, okay, Democrats take control of, of the government and then Republicans take control of government and it just swings back and forth like a pendulum. So my concern is mm -hmm. what happens in 2022 when Republicans or if Republicans take back one or other of the of, uh, either the House or the Senate and they start screwing us again, right? Like, if you think about mm -hmm. what happened back in 2009, Harry okay. Reid nuked mm -hmm. the filibuster in order to, to get Obama's district court judges, his lower court judges, confirmed. Yeah. And we were all like, good, because we really need these judges. And then what happened? Mitch McConnell came along and nuked it even further... And that gave us these shit justices. That gave us Gorsuch, who's not as shit as we thought he was. We've already been through that. But it definitely gave us shit justice Brad McBeer and shit justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett. So it seems to me, and maybe this is just my, I don't know, my concern about Democrats being, not to put too fine a point on it, nutsacks, right? But like, <laughs> we need a Mitch McConnell. Democrats need a Mitch McConnell. And we don't have one. And I don't have faith that even if Democrats do nuke the filibuster, that they will be able to stop being nutsacks long enough to actually get shit done. Mm -hmm. If they nuke this filibuster, they need to go absolutely buck wild on everybody's asses. They need to mm -hmm. pass so much legislation that people are like, enough already. I'm tired of getting all of this stuff done. Too much progress. Like, that's how buck wild Democrats need to go. I'm talking about unpacking the courts, 
$2,000 stimulus checks retroactive to the beginning of the pandemic, some kind of health care plan that gets the millions of people who are uninsured insured. You know what I mean? Like, that's the sort of shit that needs to get done. Do you think Democrats have the ovaries for this? Because I am very, very skeptical. Mm-hmm. I'm just worried that they have two years to get shit done. They nuke the filibuster and they still piss away these two years. I mean, look, that is a legitimately fair concern <laughs> with a lot of the Democrats in the Senate. I will say that I do feel, I think, maybe a little more optimistic in this space, given the fresh round of folks in the Democratic bench that we see coming into the Senate and in Democratic leadership in general. So if you were to say, hey, Jess, do you think it's going to be Dianne Feinstein who leads the charge on all of these progressive measures and, you know, um, killing the filibuster and all of that, I'm going to say, mm, no. No, right. A couple of the junior senators from Georgia, perhaps. Like, I think that they're, you know, I so I so I think that there's there. But also, but also I really want to go back to this point that you raised earlier, because this is the, one of the main sticking points for me, is that Democrats have no choice but to go big or go home. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, the country's kind of in shambles. Yes. Yes, it is. There are there's a lot of shit to fix. Right. And like you said, most voters don't actually care about the rules. I mean, look, I am as big of a rules nerd as they come. And I didn't know the origin story of the filibuster and Aaron Burr and the copy edit. Do you think like voters who are not this dialed in because they have other shit to deal with and made better life choices than I did are going to be (laughs) that dialed in? I don't think so. So why would Democrats twist themselves into pretzels worrying about a fight over rules language when all they need to do is say, hey, look, I want to forgive your student loans, but Mm -hmm. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are making it impossible because of this rule. Like that to me seems like something, you know, like if we can just deliver policy results, I think we've got to believe that voters will deliver electoral wins. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's 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 like the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Imani. It's like the what? Wait, how did we get from the filibuster to Indiana Jones? <laughs> it's the leap of faith scene in that movie. I swear to God. Okay, okay. stick with me. Okay. All right. Yep. So, um, okay. so okay. we're battling Nazis. We don't know what the future is. We actually holds. are battling Nazis. <laughs> I was not joking when I said it was like the last crusade. I know you weren't. You weren't. So here we are. We know the forces of good are on our side. We know that we can vanquish the Nazis, right? But the path isn't clear. We can't actually see it. We just Mm -hmm. know that we've done our homework. We've been Mm -hmm. obsessing about this shit for at least the last four years. If we take the leap of faith, and govern like we actually won. Yeah. Sky's the limit. It could happen. Sky- yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And and like like I mentioned, we we may not have any choice but to go for it because, like in the last crusade, we're fighting actual Nazis. Yeah. So yeah, really like this is a real thing. <laughs> How did we get to the point where we're fighting actual Nazis? My God. So Okay. All right. So basically you're saying you just got to got to close your eyes and jump. 
Close your eyes and jump. Take the leap just, of faith, Democrats. Do it. Just, yeah. Yeah. OK. All right. All right. I'm on board now. I'm on board for that. But. OK. Let's say they can't get Manchin and Cinema on board. Mm. Let's say Democrats don't nuke the filibuster. That doesn't necessarily mean that every Biden-Harris policy is going to be dead on arrival, right? Did you just well actually me? I think you just well actually me. I, <laughs> I mean, have. you're not wrong. <laughs> but I'm yeah, just yeah. saying. That's true. I did. No, I did. You, I no, you're, did. no, you're absolutely right. It, it's not truly an all or nothing situation, even though I have been shriekier than usual in this episode about it. It would be so much better if we didn't have the filibuster. But if we end up stuck with it, Dems do have a workaround for Senate Republicans and a couple of those holdouts, you know, and those Senate Re- Republicans, those 45 of which, by the way, voted to not move forward with impeaching Trump for sedition. So those are the folks that we will be mm-hmm. dealing with in yeah. the Senate. Democrats can use what's called budget reconciliation. Oh, so, boy, that sounds real wonky. That yeah. sounds wonky. I'm already I, I need you to explain what that is. Yeah. Get some caffeine. Um, I'm actually not going to get into the weeds on it because there is a lot. But the TLDR on it is that it's a process that can only be used on taxing and spending measures, which is basically the budget. Right. So it is super weedy, as you said. But let me just see if I got this right. So, yeah, budget reconciliation is a way to expedite consideration of certain legislation if that legislation is related to spending revenue the debt limit right budget shit yeah Yeah. and in the senate reconciliation bills aren't subject to filibuster right so that means that democrats can shove policy into the budget and then try to get it passed through this budget reconciliation process which disallows republican senators to filibuster so they can enact controversial shit as long as it's related to taxing and spending. Yes, that's the key. So what kinds of things are related to taxing and spending? The ACA. Yeah. So Republicans use this budget reconciliation process when they Mm -hmm. tried and failed to repeal the ACA. Instead of repealing the ACA, which was wildly unpopular with a majority of Americans because people thought it was Obamacare, And that somehow worked. The Republicans ended up using this budget reconciliation process to zero out the penalty associated with the individual mandate. Right. We talked Mm -hmm. about that, how if you didn't buy insurance, then you had to pay this 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 tax. Was it a tax? Was it not a tax? There was a whole lawsuit about that. SCOTUS got involved. Roberts got involved. Yeah. They went ahead and zeroed out that mandate. Right. Right, right. And just to just to lay a finer point on what bad faith actors the senators are. Republicans, led by Ted Cruz, launched that bad faith lawsuit, arguing that because the penalty was now zeroed out in the budget reconciliation process, the individual mandate was unconstitutional. And then they went even bananasier, which is not a word, but I'm going to say it. Then they said, well, because the individual mandate is unconstitutional, the entire ACA is unconstitutional Mm -hmm. because the mandate couldn't be severed, ripped apart from the rest of the of the statute. And that's the ACA case that is pending at SCOTUS right now, right? Yep. We heard oral arguments back in November, and we're still waiting for that decision, which is very yikes-inducing. I mean, yikes, 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 yikes. Yeah, yikes indeed. Okay, but hold on. It's going to get even nerdier, Amani. If that's even possible. Strap well, in. Hit me, hit me. So reconciliation is a budget move, more or less, right? And Congress typically only passes one budget a year. 
That's a process that starts in February and ends whenever the fuck it ends. (laughs) Sincerely, usually it's supposed to be by the end of June. Um, But that has not always been the case. But, you know, end of June might flag for you for some reason, Imani. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's because the end of June is usually when we get big SCOTUS decisions, like whether or not the ACA is unconstitutional and going to therefore throw millions and millions of people off of their insurance in a pandemic when people have COVID-19, which is going to be considered a pre-existing condition. I'm literally the Elmo flaming gif right now. You actually are. Your hands are (laughs) upraised and I think your office is on fire. But it is entirely possible that Democrats are dealing with a budget right around when SCOTUS drops a decision and that might determine how Democrats deal with the ACA. Do Democrats try to do this budget reconciliation process in order to save the ACA somehow? Yeah, you know, it's really getting hot in here because I'm going to drop some more. Oh, God, so much nerdery. I love it. And it involves Chuck Schumer. Oh, boy. (laughs) So Chuck Schumer has said that Democrats get two bites at the reconciliation apple. And I'm going to be honest. I don't totally know how. I was watching cable news, and my understanding is that it has to do with the fact that in 2020, it was basically just like a total disaster year across the board. Nothing got done, especially in Congress, because we were in lockdown and there were insurrections. It was just wild times, right? But basically, Congress didn't get their business finished, which is how Schumer explained it more or less on MSNBC last night, that there is this hangover, which gives the Democrats an opportunity for two bites at the reconciliation apple. And so let's say he's right. That means that Democrats would have two shots at getting some policy proposals through. That's better than one. It's better than one. Mm -hmm. But Amani, this is like, I mean, Ian Milheiser at Vox explained it this way. Senate Democrats represent 41 million more Americans than Senate Republicans. Have I mentioned the Senate is an undemocratic hellscape because 41 million Americans want shit to get done and it might not because of a copy edit. Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because you got two senators in Wyoming who represent the six people who live in Wyoming and then you get two senators in California who represent the literal 87 billion people who live in California and there's an inequity there. And I love you, Wyoming. Hey, you've got great, Wide open spaces, wide open spaces. Why am I singing Dixie Chicks all of a sudden? I don't know. But the point is, is the Senate is a very undemocratic body. And the fact that a minority of senators can just gum up the works when when Democrats represent more people, it just seems at its core unfair. Yeah. Land doesn't vote. People do. (laughs) Exactly. And people want shit done. And the filibuster is standing in the way. Okay, so I have a question then. Okay. So if Democrats can use this budget reconciliation process. Yeah. So does that mean that these fights around taxing and spending is how we could maybe go about repealing the Hyde Amendment, right? So that's sexy. The Hyde Amendment is this rider to -hmm. the budget that says you can't use federal funds to pay for abortion except in certain circumstances, rape, incest, and life endangerment. So Mm -hmm. that's taxing and spending. So it seems to me that Democrats could use budget reconciliation to get the Hyde Amendment the fuck out of there, right? Definitely. Definitely. So passing the budget in the Biden-Harris administration is going to turn into a huge abortion fight. I would think so. I mean, look, 
we know that Republicans are going to use abortion any way that they can. And if they also know via Mitch McConnell just being terrible, that at most Democrats, if they don't kill the filibuster, will have two bites at the apple to try and get a whole bunch of big policy. I mean, you know, we're talking COVID relief. We are talking sincerely infrastructure. (laughs) We're talking like, you know, voting protections. We're talking, you know, Green New Deal. Like, you know, this is this is a an administration that has the potential to enact some really radical progressive policies and Republicans know that. And so what is a better way to create a distraction than to throw abortion all over the place? And I would expect this to be a place where Democrats are maybe a little soft and a good opportunity for us to hold the Biden-Harris administration's feet to the fire and fellow Democrats to the fire to say, understand you're going to be negotiating a lot of priorities if this is if we don't kill the filibuster, negotiating abortion rights access is not one of them that we are willing to trade on. That's a really good point, especially because it seems like whenever there's horse trading going on in the Senate, exactly. Abortion rights get thrown under the bus immediately. And I'm, I'm done with the goddamn Hyde Amendment. I'll tell you what, I don't want to have to write another article next year about how, how horrible the Hyde Amendment. I want it out. Mm-hmm. So. What can Democrats do? Can Democrats do anything else besides nuke the filibuster and besides use this budget reconciliation process? Is there something else that's that's feasible? We got to pressure the holdouts. Like, sincerely, why? Why are you siding with Jim Crow history and standing in the way of progress unless you believe in those values. Like, I think Democrats also not only need to put the pressure on them, but to take that, like, logic line all the way through. Oh, so you're not opposed to, or so you're opposed to ending the filibuster. That must mean you like it for upholding Republican priorities. And make them say that and run those electoral ads. And then they can lose in re-election. Like, I think we have to stop being afraid of hard fights internally. Honestly, mm-hmm. and if the last election taught us anything, it is that being cowardly in our own spaces gets us nowhere. You know, uh, Raphael yeah. Warnock w- run, won a Senate race in Georgia by being unapologetically pro-choice, pro-LGBTQ, mm-hmm. and pro-faith. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot for Democrats to learn in that space because, you know, He took the fight to where the fight was and won. And so that is sort of my last like TED talk on killing the filibuster. We win when we run on issues and when we run on our values and we lose when we try to play nice with those folks who never shared our our values and, you know, our interests to begin with. Okay, okay, I think you convinced me. Ah! Well done. Well, well done, Piclo. (laughs) You've convinced me. I'm still worried about the nutsackedness of Democrats, but I think the answer is to fire up voters yeah. and to just take the fight straight to Democrats and say, look, nuke the goddamn filibuster and then pass a bunch of stuff and then you won't have to worry about reelection because voters will be clamoring to reelect you because you've shown that you can pass stuff that helps them. Joe Biden could be the next FDR. Just saying. I really think he could. He really could. That's a different episode. That is a different episode. Well, well, that was fun. You know, I mean, fine. I, I we love got the backstory. 
We did get into it. I love the backstory about Aaron Burr. I love the fact that the filibuster just happened because of a copy editing mistake made by a man who had just shot Alexander Hamilton for no goddamn reason. I love all of that. And I love that we can agree and disagree, you know? Like, I love the back and forth. I do. I do, too. Is this the second episode in a row we've done that? (gasps) Look look at us. Look at us. I call that personal growth. It's like that Paul Rudd gift. Look at us. Who would have thought? We're growing. In real time with the audience. In real time. It's fantastic. And listeners, you're growing with us. And if you want to grow and talk and chat, maybe duel, not in real life, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Angry Black Lady. You can follow Jess on Twitter at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. Bring your virtual pistols. It will be virtual pistols at dawn. Also, you should follow Rewire News Group on Twitter at Rewire News Group. And that same thing on Instagram, at Rewire News Group. Jess, you should tell them about the newsletter because the newsletter is kind of exciting. I just signed up for the newsletter and I've worked here for like eight years. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) I know. (laughs) There's my public scold of Amani. You should do better than Amani and sign up for the newsletter immediately. (laughs) Go to rewirenewsgroup.com slash subscribe. Um, It's a weekly newsletter. It will catch you up on everything that we have over at Rewire News Group. Our editor-in-chief, Galena Espinoza, drops a little note in it. It's always lovely, but that way you won't miss anything that we have uh, happening over at Rewire News Group. So please go to rewirenewsgroup.com slash subscribe. And if you want to give us money, because I know you want to give us money, you should go to rewirenewsgroup.com slash boom give. It's money like yours that helps Jess and I continue to get on the mic and argue with each other and then hug it out at the end because that's who we are. So go to rewirenewsgroup.com slash boom give and just give whatever you can. Pretty please. Pretty please. Uh, we got a Facebook group that's still popping. So you should go over there and do that whole thing. There's a lot of there's a lot of really cool people in our Facebook group book group we've got a really nice little nerd family over there and i love it uh and aside from that we'll see you on the tubes folks yeah just see you on the tubes Woo! tubes boom lawyered is created and hosted by jessica mason piclo and imani gandhi mark filetti produces the show 